The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency is the latest federal government organization to lay out its back-to-the-office plan. Most CISA employees will report to their offices at least twice per pay period. Alexis Bunnell is Emerging Technology Evangelist at Google Cloud. Google Cloud sponsors today's Daily Scoop podcast. She's former Chief Innovation Officer at the U.S. Agency for International Development. Alexis, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. One issue that Chico's and other leaders across government are talking about all the time is how you bring these people back together in a hybrid environment. Some people are going to be out Monday and Wednesday, and some people are going to be out every Monday, and it's going to be different for everyone in some of these offices. You used the term last time we talked, connective tissue, about how you put all these people together and make them feel uh, a part of what's going on. What does that connective tissue look like to you moving forward? Welcome, Alexis. Thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because one of my first uh, jobs at USAID was actually also as the telework executive, and that was more than 10 years ago. And so I'm so excited actually to see us at this point of hybrid work, right? Really, because it's about being able to, you know, let people have that work-life balance, but also to be incredibly productive, you know, a in, in any environment. And so I think when we think about connective tissue, you know, that includes things like people, process technologies, and how you bring those together. And really, this is such an exciting age, you know, not only because the cultural shift and, and what we're seeing is actually bringing, you know, people greater autonomy and empowerment in their work, um, but also then having those moments of connectivity in the office, right? One of the things we see at Google is that some of the most brilliant moments are those kind of bump into you moments in the cafe where you're sharing information. So really finding that right balance. But I think, you know, finding that autonomy, but also really enabling people to work remotely. And most importantly, you know, to have the technology to allow them to thrive while doing it. And I think, you know, there's a few things leaders are going to need to think about as they navigate this hybrid work era. And I'll give maybe just three examples. You know, I think the first is really thinking about those tools that empower, you know, that, that hybrid work, but really that collaboration that allow your kind of present people, your future people, that interoperability, really to let workers use tools they're comfortable with, and maybe not only what the agency has always used. One of the examples I loved um, that I thought was done really well at USAID is when they started to introduce the ability for someone, for example, to use an Apple or a PC or a Chromebook, really based on their productivity preference. And I think the same is going to be true in communications and productivity tools, uh, things like office and workspace being interoperable. I think you're going to see more and more workers wanting to use the same tools they use in their personal lives and their professional ones while maintaining security. So I think it's not just that moment of hybrid work. I think it's really how the tools complement that. I think the second, when you think about the power of hybrid work, is really the idea of bringing data together. And if I can make a prediction, Francis, I would say that, you know, 22, 23 is really going to be the age of the API. You know, that idea of bringing, you know, the power, bringing data together, but more importantly, providing that bigger picture to government. So that could be overlaying a social equity data flow with a traditional program data flow to understand, you know, where they might have an underserved population or simply bringing in data flow from one HR system into a new one that helps track health and safety measures, as an example. But really, the idea is the more sense we can make of the more data, the more we all benefit. And the third one that I think is going to be really interesting is this opportunity to move maybe from a perception of shadow IT, if you will, to actually intentionally empowering kind of technology democratization 
if you will, across organizations. And what I mean by that is, you know, great tools like low code or no code apps, uh, for example, that we use like AppSheet, they're really helping people like me, non-technologists, you know, add things like automation and efficiency to their work. And Francis, I have to admit, I do not know how to write a single line of code, but I can use a no code technology to create a way to read and collect data from a document attachment in an email, for example, to auto-populate a spreadsheet. Or I could map my whole office and set up seat sharing, right, at a time of hybrid work. I can even program an AI model in less than two minutes without being a data scientist or writing a line of code. So I think when we think about hybrid work, it's not just where am I physically, it's what can I do now? You know, what really are these more accessible technologies meaning and how I can unleash my curiosity? how I can lean in and enhance my productivity, and most importantly, how I can drive my mission in ways I never could before. So the core of all of those three points that you highlight, Alexis, in my opinion, is resilience. And you're talking about the way to build more resilience into an organization. And the last time we talked, you used the term living systems leadership as a way to get to that resilient point that agencies need to be at, not just for March, April, May of 2022, but for 2025 and for the next time there's something disruptive like a pandemic or some mm-hmm. other issue, yep. you know, this is the concept, the, the, the name that you gave that concept. What does that concept mean and how does that tie into what we've already discussed? Yeah, absolutely. I I really think that it is such an interesting time. And, you know, you often hear the saying, you know, the only change, you know, change is the only constant. But to your point, looking around the world today, that that rings true, right? From the war in Ukraine to the pandemic, to the evolving nature of what it means to be in the office. You know, really public sector leaders are finding themselves navigating a huge number of internal and external challenges. And I think what's interesting is that this is really the time to embrace transformation. And when I say that, I don't just mean in digital or organizational transformation, but leadership transformation. You know, we really can't expect to lead the same way we did two years ago. And if you add to that the fact that we face these transitions, we're spending more than ever really in hopes of gaining that resilience, that flexibility that government needs to accomplish their mission today and prepare for tomorrow's challenges and opportunities. And that's where living system leadership came in. And really, you know, what it is, it living system leadership helps answer the question of the day for leaders. And that question I think really is, how do I address today's day-to-day issues while also addressing the future needs of the agency. And I think, you know, many leaders are looking to technology, including AI, big data, data insights, but how do they ensure those investments have the right generational consequences? And I think that's really important. And so what Living Systems is, is really about that intentionality, the ability to, to, you know, ready your organization to navigate change. And I think as leaders, often in transformation efforts, we ask ourselves what the right solution is, right? What's the right model or process that we can successfully implement? And then we put it on autopilot, right? Because if it's it's the right one, it's going to last forever. And I think the reality is we know that that's not true, right? And so living system leaders recognize that there's no longer a simple kind of steady state solution. They recognize that their role and the organization's role will be to navigate a shifting environment, whether those are societal shifts, 
customer expectation shifts, budget, legislation, or even new technology shifts. And where I have so much empathy, Francis, is the fact that you know, these shifts used to occur gradually over time, a 100-year cycle, 50-year cycle, 10-year cycle, and we're really now in a two- to three-year cycle, and it's critical for government to adapt to that. And so to give you some examples about how living system leaders maybe behave differently, it's really about demanding more from themselves from their teams. And so, for example, their teams, you know, are really looking for more autonomy, mastery, and purpose. These uh, groups have to have more flexibility, to your point, more resilience, but also more curiosity. But Francis, I think what's really exciting is also this idea that they have an opportunity to, to demand and expect more from their partners, their implementers, and their vendors. And so what I mean by that is if you're a living systems leader and you're really thinking about being change ready, you have to think about and value things like interoperability, portability, carbon neutrality, you know, new fiscal models that give you both flexibility and certainty, certainty, excuse me, and, and refusing things like vendor lock-ins. And I think what I'm excited about is, you know, the opportunity that we had at Google to get together and to really ask ourselves, what do we have to do different as a tech partner to set public leaders up to be a position of really leaders that thrive in living systems and being living systems leaders? And so I think in addition to these ideas of supporting interoperability, portability, carbon neutrality, those things I mentioned, it also means doubling down on making our decades worth of zero trust experience available to government. And obviously I would say that couldn't come at a better time, but it might also take the form of championing multi-cloud and APIs. You know, we really think living systems leaders should continue to use some of the legacy systems and APIs can really help you extend the life out of the legacy systems you have while still allowing agencies to adapt to new technologies. Things like Doc AI or call center AI or GIS translation, you know, those all allow government to provide more excellent customer experiences. And I know I've droned on because I'm so excited about living system leaders and just all of the amazing public servants that we've seen model this behavior. But I think the final one I have to mention is curiosity. And that's the real heartbeat of living systems leaders, the ability to be data-driven decision makers and information stewards in an information age. And so living system leaders are really looking to be proactive not reactive. They want to lean in. They want to ask what if. They want to run scenarios. They want to model potential situations. And generally, they want to be future ready. And I think that's what's so exciting about our tech and where it is right now is really the ability to have, you know, for lack of a better term, real what if machines at your fingertips. Alexis, you're supposed to be excited about this stuff. You're an emerging technology evangelist. <laughs> you're supposed to tell people <laughs> why it's all great, right? <laughs> which you did quite effectively. It's great to talk to you again. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks so much.